This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Baptism Sunday, where we are expecting a lot of guests. I have prepared a simple message so that uh, anyone who is in the congregation will be able to understand. Okay, because not everyone has been journeying through Isaiah with us. Uh, so, you know, for many people who visit us today, they will be, like, in a sense, parachuting right into, you know, the middle, and then what is Isaiah 11 about? Okay, but most of you uh, are not like that. Most of you have been uh, studying Isaiah with us, and where we left off was in uh, chapter 9, verse 7. Okay, and I know the Bible studies didn't cover uh, in between that to chapter 11. Okay, so I want to uh, very quickly just walk us through what Isaiah has been talking about uh, in between 9-7 and the beginning of 11. Okay, so if you uh, just turn back to chapter 9, verse 8. Okay, so where we left off was one of the high points of Isaiah. You know, this son uh, who is, you know, uh, mighty and, uh, you know, the prince of peace. And so that's one of the high points. And Isaiah is like this roller coaster. You know, after a high point, it will come down again. Okay, so where it comes down, you look at 9 verse 8. It says, The Lord has sent a message against Jacob. It will fall on Israel. Uh, All the people will know it, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say with pride and arrogance of heart. Okay, so this is a message of judgment God has uh, given, and this is the response of the people. Okay, verse 10, The bricks have fallen down. But we will rebuild with dress stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. Okay, so you see the, the arrogance of these people. God says judgment will come, and they say, okay, these things fall down, never mind, we will build it better and nicer. When I read this, it reminds me of uh, Mary Antoinette, which when she was told, the people have no bread to eat, then she said, well, let them eat cake. You know, so, you know, um, this, this idea of the, the, the things falling down, but they say, okay, no problem, God will judge, but we will rebuild it and we make it nicer. Now, the thing that is interesting is that this message of judgment is against Jacob, against Israel, meaning it is against the northern kingdom. Now, Isaiah is a prophet to the south. So why is a prophet to the south? telling the people of the south what God says to the north. Okay, I think the simple explanation is that southern kingdom, hear what God says to the north, hear what God says to your brothers up in the north, judgment will fall on them because of their wickedness, because of their unrepentance. So learn. Learn from their mistake. Because if you don't repent, if you don't you know, turn back to the Lord, then this same judgment will fall on you. So this is the reason why uh, in you know, chapter 9, chapter 10, there's this word of judgment uh, to, Assyria, uh, to, to Israel. Okay, then we come to chapter 10 and look at verse 5. Okay, flip to chapter 10, verse 5. The instrument by which God will execute judgment uh, is the nation of Assyria, 
And in chapter 10, verse 5, God says, Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. Okay, so after pronouncing judgment on Israel, and this judgment that will be executed through Assyria, now God says, okay, this uh, Assyrian uh, nation that I use as my rod, as my club, they will also be judged. And the reason why they will be judged is because uh, the reason, uh, the, the way that they went about doing God's work was full of pride, uh, full of wickedness. So in verse 6, God says, I sent him against a godless nation. I dispatch him against the people who anger me. Now, there's great irony here if you can understand it because God is saying, okay, Assyrians, the Syrian nation, I'm sending them against a godless nation. And the godless nation is Israel, is Judah. And the ironic thing is that if you ask any Israelite, they will say, oh, the Assyrians are the ones who are godless. But now God is using Assyria and he says, I'm sending them against my people, my people who are actually godless because they have forsaken me. And throughout this uh, whole passage here, God is saying, yes, I will use Assyria, but they will be punished as well. Even though I use them as the instrument of my, uh, my anger, executing my judgment, but they too will not escape because they too are wicked. And then uh, God will reassure his people. Uh, look down with me to chapter 10, verse 20. Even though the Assyrians will come and they will chop, but verse 20, in that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will rely, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Okay, so there is great hope here. The Assyrians will come, devastation, judgment uh, will be executed, but there will be a remnant. There will be some survivors, there will be some people who will be saved. And these are the people who truly hope, truly rely in the Lord. So this is the strange work of God, that he should use some pagan nation against his own people. The strange work of God that in this pagan nation executing judgment, that through that judgment, there can be salvation. Salvation for that remnant, that people who will be saved through judgment, the people who truly rely on the Lord. Okay, so this is the, that roller coaster ride, and which brings us to chapter 11, which is the, uh, our text for today. Okay, so I, I hope that... Uh, will be a bit helpful, okay, but if you are falling asleep, okay, then let me pray for strength, and then you can pay attention to chapter 11, which is a high point, okay, and uh, which, as I've said, I've tried to make it simple so that everyone can understand, but let's ask God to help us. Uh, God, it is uh, truly uh, a complex book, long, and with so much detail, so much background that's needed. Uh, but Father, please help us to see the real promise of hope, the real promise of encouragement that we have in these words here. Uh, please help us to understand, to see, to believe, 
and that we may be those who truly rely on you. Thank you, Father. Amen. So looking at uh, chapter 11, 1 to 9, it is best described as a text with two halves. A text with two halves, okay? It is a prophecy, a prophecy that has two fulfillments, okay? Now, I came across an illustration that I think best captures this, okay? And the illustration is that pretend this is 2008, Okay, I know I like to do this, okay? Pretend it's 2008. And in 2008, okay, for Christmas, you are given a book. Okay, and this book is a, a prophecy about what will happen in 2018. That's the first half. And then the second half of the book is what will happen in 2028. Okay, and you get this book in 2008. So, you know, you know some relative gave it to you. You flip through it and then you, ah, what's all this? You know, it's rubbish. Okay, then you, you, you throw it away, keep it away somewhere. But then you come to 2018 and then you remember, hey, I, I was given this book, right? So you look for it and then you find it and then you flip to 2018 and you say, hey, the, the leader of North Korea will meet with the sitting president of the United States. I mean, that happened and it happens in Singapore and, and the president of the United States is, Donald Trump, a reality star. Okay, so, so you see all these prophecies in 2018, written in 2008, comes true. And then you flip a bit more and you say, what? Man City wins the league? In 2008, they were mid-table and what? They, they win the league with the you know, most games won, most points won, most goals scored. Wow. Okay, so if you encounter that, the predictions in 2018 coming true, that's going to make you flip to 2028 and see what he has to say. Right? So in the same way, our passage 11, 1 to 9 is a prophecy with two halves. The first half is a prophecy of Jesus coming. Because you look there, it says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And in the outline I said there, it's about a person. Uh, it's not immediately obvious that it's about a person. You might think that it's about a plant, you know, something botanical. But actually, it is talking about a person. A person that will come from the stump of Jesse. And the reason why uh, it's a stump is because judgment has fallen on the people of Israel. And they've been cut down. The nation has experienced devastation. Now, who is this uh, Jesse person from which, you know, a, a shoot will come up? Um, you know, the best way I can think of to uh, illustrate this is if Singapore goes through some devastation, we're no longer financially prosperous, you know, things are in a big mess. And then there's a prediction, there's a prophecy that says, out of this mess, out of this devastation, will come a leader like Lee Kuan Yew. Wow. Everyone can understand. Okay, so Israel has experienced devastation. And out of that devastation will come this shoot that is like one of the great leaders of its past. Uh, a stump from, uh, of Jesse, and this is referring to King David. A great leader of the past that will 
address and lead the country, the nation, into good times again. So he's talking about this person, and this person, okay, no prizes for guessing, is uh, fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. So this is the first half of the prophecy that uh, in Isaiah 11, 1-9, written 700 years before the birth of Jesus, accurately prof- uh, you know, foretells the coming of Jesus. Now, not just in this passage, but throughout Isaiah, there is all these prophecies of uh, how Jesus is born, that he's born out of a virgin birth. There's prophecies about his early ministry in Galilee. There's prophecies about um, how he will die, the manner of his death, who he will die with, how he's buried. All these prophecies coming true. So it's like in 2018, you have the first half, the prophecies coming true. And the second half, the second half of the prophecy is from verse 6 to 9, which is the part that has not come true yet. But if the first half has come true, then we can, with some expectation, believe that the second half will come true. So the second half, uh, verse 6 to 9, is about a place. And the place is described with uh, animals. So you see in verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. I mean, this is nothing like you've ever seen on earth, nothing like you've ever seen on National Geographic. When you see lions and calf on National Geographic, it's, it's fast and it's bloody and there's a lot of roaring, right? But this is a picture where there is Peace. This is a picture of a place where there's no more death, where things are put right, where there's no more exploitation. So Isaiah is using these images of animals, but it is trying to convey that the curse is over. The curse that fell on humanity, the curse that is the reason for why we have hate and murder and children being trafficked, women being trafficked, people being falsely accused, chronic disease. I mean, the reason why we have all this is because of the curse that fell on humanity because of our rebellion. And so Isaiah is using this picture of you know, animals dwelling in peace together as a way of saying, the curse will be lifted. God's ideal for how we will relate, how we will live, okay, this is coming true. And this will happen because of verses 1 to 5. Okay, so what, after one whole week of studying this passage, okay, one of the great um, insights, uh, is that verses 1 to 5 come before 6 to 9. Okay, after one whole week, right? You know, multiple commentaries read, you know, this and that. Which means to tell us that it is the coming, the fulfillment of the first part of the prophecy. The coming of this person who is a shoot that will come from the stump of Jesse, all that he is, all that he does, which will give rise to the fulfillment of the second part, the restoration, the renewal, 
the things being put right. Or as uh, another part of the Bible talks about this reality, a place where there is no more death. A place where God himself will wipe away every tear and such that there's no more crying, no more mourning, no more sorrow. A place where each day just gets better and better and it continues forever. Right. So that is the, the future place, the future reality that God in this passage is promising. And it comes about because of the person described in 1 to 5. I want to go on and uh, look with you a bit more at what he says in uh, verse 4. This person that will come, this uh, shoot from the stump of Jesse, he will with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Now this is talking about when Jesus comes, how he will make the right judgment. How there will be no miscarriage of justice. And so, you know, we talk a bit about Man City, this and that. I mean, it's, it's, if you're a football fan, a sports fan, it's where no referees are needed. It's where there's no more, you know, the referee doesn't need to do this. Where he says, okay, right, I, I, something happened, I'm not really sure, okay, I need to look at the video assistant referee. And then even sometimes if they look at it, they still make the wrong decision. And then the wrong team won. And that sort of thing. And it's like, oh, so frustrating. But, but that's just trivial. Because all around the world, in the courts of the land, there's injustice. There's wrong sentences being uh, given out. And a story that I came across recently was uh, uh, a mother by the name of Doreen. Doreen Giuliano. And her son was falsely accused of murder. I mean, she, she spoke to him, she, from what he said, she really believed that he did not commit the murder. And so the mother's love compelled her to buy disguises, uh, lose weight, change the color of her hair, so that she could get close to the person that she thought was the real murderer. And she wanted to befriend the real murderer so that in a moment of weakness, she could record him confessing. So she, you know, uh, you know, spent all this time staking him out, you know, getting to know him, wearing disguises. And I mean, she spent so much time doing it that her own marriage failed and the husband divorced her. But she was so convinced that the son was innocent that she, she went at this for months and into years. And she eventually befriended the murderer. And, you know, gained his trust and got him to confess. So that eventually that wrong sentence against her son could be lifted. I mean, it's just a story, but the reality of this fallen world is that there is a miscarriage of justice. But this, this king, when he comes, he will judge rightly. And for us who love justice, we, I mean, I'm sure you agree with me, there is, there is a, there is a joy, there is a yes, yes, okay, no more miscarriage. Yes, you know, the courts will, will hand out the right sentence, the right verdict. But if you are also like me, then that celebration will not last long. Because 
all the more we say yes to justice, all the more we say yes to a judge who knows all, who sees all, who judges rightly, then we will soon realize that he will also see me and know me and therefore judge me. So if this is a judge, a king who comes and he will judge rightly, uh, verse 4, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. No one escapes because he knows, he sees, he judges rightly. Then how can you and I, we who know that there's no way we can stand before a judge who sees us true and true, how will we be able to be part of this renewed kingdom, restored kingdom of peace, you know, where there is perfection, where there is peace? Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 5, which was our first scripture reading. And this is uh, 700 years after Isaiah was written. The first part of the fulfillment that shoot from the stump of Jesse, he has now come. And Luke records this, this uh, simple episode. Okay, so Luke chapter 5. In verse 17, we see Jesus teaching, and people had gathered from all over to hear him teach. And uh, the end of verse 17 says, The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Right? So this is that fulfillment. Because this shoot from the stump of Jesse, he has the Spirit of the Lord on him. And so the Spirit of the Lord in Luke chapter 5 is on him and on him to be able to heal the sick. And so Luke prepares us for what will happen because we are next told that some friends come and they come with a paralyzed friend. And because there's so many people gathered to listen to Jesus, they cannot go into the front door. But they, because they love their friend, they find a way to get onto the roof. And in those days, the roofs were flat. And not, you know, inclined like that. If not, it would be the story of a paralyzed man and four friends with a sprained back. Because they fall off the roof, right? Okay, but the roof is flat. Okay, so they get onto the roof and then they, they dig a hole. And so that they can lower their friend to Jesus. Because they are so convinced that Jesus is able to heal their friend. Now what happens is, in verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend! You may run again. Go. Go outside. Kick a football. No, he doesn't say that. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, we might expect, this is a man who has been suffering, has been paralyzed. I mean, just put some other person into that picture. Someone with MS, someone with chronic disease, someone you know, with, with, with Alzheimer's, you know, come before Jesus and Jesus has the power to heal. And he doesn't. And instead he says, your sins are forgiven. And we might expect, hey, 
Why? I mean, can't you see, like, you know, this, this grandmother, she's suffering from Alzheimer's, you know, she doesn't recognize the family members anymore, or, or this person, you know, chronic disease, how much pain she's in, and why do you talk about sin? Jesus talks about sin because that is our biggest problem. That is the thing that is keeping us from one day inhabiting being part of that kingdom of peace that restored and renewed creation, where there's no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. What keeps us from that reality is our sin. And remember I said in Isaiah, verses 1 to 5, come before 6 to 9, it is the person of Jesus who makes that kingdom possible. And so it is in Him dealing with the problem of our sin, dealing with our greatest problem, which is why he can guarantee, he can make a reality that restored, renewed, perfect kingdom. And so the people there, they understandably don't believe, they're a bit incredulous that Jesus can forgive sins. So Jesus, in verse 22, says, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Go, play football with your son in the garden again. And a man who has been paralyzed gets up immediately. And the reason why Jesus tells us right, why he performed this miracle healing is so that we can believe he can do the more important and harder work of actually forgiving sins. He deals with something visible and you know temporal to prove that he has the power, the authority to deal with our greatest problem. He can forgive sins. And the whole message of Christianity is that the reason why Jesus can forgive sins is because he has borne on himself our sins. The judgment, the penalty that our sins, right? That the judge that sees all, knows all, for those who have come to him, he has taken every one of those sins, placed it on himself, and he has experienced the full judgment of God upon those sins. All those sins paid for. None of them swept under the carpet. That's why he can look you in the eye and say, Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Not in part, but the whole. They are all dealt with. And because they are dealt with, if you are someone who has come to Jesus, you can be part of that perfect, renewed, restored creation. No more death, no more pain, no more crying. Now what this means for us is uh, the third point, uh, our personal response. And the chapter that comes after Isaiah 11 
uh, if you want, you can flip back. If not, you can just uh, listen to me. In chapter 12, captures for us uh, the personal response that we should make. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. You see, we need to realize how right it is for God to be angry with us because we have rejected Him, we have rebelled against Him. We have shaken our puny fists in His face and told Him, you know, I will live my life the way I want to, right? All of us at heart, we are fans of Frank Sinatra. But that deserves God's right anger. But his anger has been turned away. Turned away because he has fallen on his son. And verse 2 says, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Now today at service, we celebrated the transfer of membership of Faith and Joshua. And in a sense, what Faith and Joshua are saying by transferring their membership is saying to us, Hey guys, this is a personal response that I've made. That I, will, I, I, will, I have trusted in God as my salvation, I want to trust and not be to be afraid. I, I've come to see that the Lord Himself is my strength, my defense. He is my salvation. This is a, this is something I've come to believe, and this is something that is so important. And I know that you know, life ahead, there will be many things that may tempt me away from holding on to this truth. And so I I, I transfer my membership to this church. I want to be a part of this church. So that you, you can keep me holding to this. You can keep me, not just with my lips, but more and more with my heart, both hands holding on, not letting go of this truth. Because if Jesus came, he did what he did, then there is nothing more important for me to trust, trust in what he's done. So that I can be part of that renewed, restored kingdom of peace that is coming. Because what came true in 2018 tells me that what the book says about 2028 is going to happen. May God help us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.